This week, I went out to mentor at our middle school, and as soon as I finished, I got this sign. <laughs> and so I, of course, have been well-trained by my wife, <laughs> so I came running, and the lady was there, and she, ha and she goes, you need to meet this guy, you need to meet this guy, and she introduced me to the gentleman, and she said, we need to talk to you. So, okay, okay, that's, 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 that's good, that's good. And, uh, and so we sat down at one of the tables there at the middle school, and she goes, you know what organization we're with? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we have $4,000, and we have to use it to better, we have to use it to better Buffalo, and, and you need to know this guy, uh, Pastor Greg Brawley, because he's from Buffalo Free Church, and if you want to make Buffalo a better place, you need to talk to Buffalo Free Church because they care about Buffalo. They care about our community. <laughs> Friends, that's a good thing, to be known as caring about your community. We want to be known as people who are deeply in love with Jesus Christ. And if you want to meet Jesus Christ, if you want to know Jesus Christ, if you want to find out about Jesus Christ, you come to Buffalo Free. But we also want to be known as a place that loves its community. And we do, and we need to keep doing that, and we need to keep caring and doing that even more. But thank you, folks, for getting us in the door. Thank you, folks for creating a culture that is known for loving our communities around Buffalo so that when I go places, people are now starting to go. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. So let's continue. Jonah. More than a fishtail, a pouting prophet, a gracious God, and a cow? A cow? Well, hang on to your hats. We've only got a few minutes because we also have communion today, and we're going to have a time of just beautiful time with God through communion. So we want to go through this and take us through God's word today. But let's talk about this Jonah more than that Jonah chapter 4 starting in verse 1 but it displeased Jonah exceeding now whoa, whoa stop right there Jonah has had a massive revival breakout any preacher I know would be jumping up and down screaming hallelujah going through the roof, but not Jonah, not Jonah. Have you ever, have you ever seen a temper tantrum? Any of you? Any of you? Yeah. One of my favorite authors describes a temper tantrum his child threw. They were walking in the supermarket 
Parents, why do children do it in the supermarket? Yeah, they were in the supermarket, and he had three kids. They were shopping to get something for dinner because they were going to do a special dinner for mom, and they were walking, and one of them decided, the youngest decided, I'm going to have a temper tantrum. And so he did it royally. I mean, <gasps> you know, the hold the breath, throw the self on the ground, pounding, and then all of a sudden the loud, ah, tears. So my friend, in, and, I, and I mean my author friend, not personal friend, the friend in the, uh, in the book, he grabs a child on each side, and they proceed to step over the crying child, and continue down the aisle. They get about three-quarters of the way down the aisle, and the child on the floor realizes he has no audience. He looks up. He sees where they're going. So, being a very bright child, gets up and runs to the next aisle. <laughs> sees them coming, flops down, to which they lock arms, step over him again, and continue walking down the aisle, laughing and talking and having a good time. This happens for five aisles. On aisle number six, the child gets up, locks arms with them, and continues through the supermarket because the temper tantrum did not work. But Jonah doesn't understand that. Jonah keeps throwing a temper tantrum. I mean, look at this. This displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country, that this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, which was Spain? For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. How dare you be gracious and merciful, God? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. How dare you be God? Man, what a horrible God he serves. I mean, isn't that horrible? Your God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Oh, Jonah, you are in such a horrible state, aren't you? Sarcasm implied. But that's Jonah. How dare you do this, God? This is why I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you for being God. You're not supposed to be God. You're supposed to do it my way. Hmm. Ooh, pastor, you just hit too close to home. God, I'm mad at you for not doing it my way. God, don't you know I have it figured out? 
if you would just do it my way, God. Yes, I know you're infinite. Yes, I, I, I know you know everything. But in this one case, God, <laughs> let me overrule you. Because, God, I know better. How often do we do that? How often do we look at the God and do that? God, I have better timing. I have better ways of doing things. And the phrase that Jonah uses here is very interesting. It's, it's a phrase that is found in Exodus 34. It's a phrase that's found in Exodus 20. It's the phrases that Moses uses when he goes up on the mountain and he's with God and when the people begin to freak out that Moses is gone and they go to Aaron and they go, what are we going to do? God's gone. And so he says, give me your earrings. And he creates a golden calf and they start worshiping a golden calf. And Moses has to intercede because God's going to judge them. This is the phrase. You're gracious, you're merciful, you're slow to anger, God. But Moses intercedes for his people. In some ways, what Jonah is saying here is, why are you making me Moses for this people? Why did you make me go and intercede for a people who don't deserve it? But the little secret is neither did Israel. Friends, that's what grace is. Grace isn't deserved. No one deserves grace. That's why it's grace. If it was deserved, it wouldn't be grace. Reminds me of another prophet. There was a guy by the name of Elijah. He had a contest with the prophets of Baal, you might remember that, that time. He and they go to the top of the hill and they battle on who's, who's going to get fire to come down from heaven. They make sacrifices. 450 prophets versus Elijah. And Elijah wins. And then he has to go out and pray. And God grants his prayer and the drought ends. Then he outruns a chariot. And then Jezebel looks at him and says, I'm going to kill you. So he runs out to the desert. He runs out to the desert. And he's exhausted. He's faced the enemies of God. And he's tired. And he says, God. Take my life from me. It's better for me to die than live. Those are the exact same words that Jonah now uses. Except what Jonah is doing here is saying, God, you've become my enemy because you're not doing it my way. You're my enemy. With Elijah, God saves Israel, and Elijah wants to die because of his enemy. God saves Nineveh, and Jonah wants to die because in his mind, God's now the enemy. 
God, thank you for saving me from the sea, but now destroy me for the saving others, says Jonah. So God goes to Jonah. Do you have a right to be mad? Come on, Jonah. That's what this is saying. Come on, Jonah. Really? I don't know about you, but I don't like it when God comes to me and says, Come on, Greg. Really? Really? You really want to go there? Come on, Greg. You really want to go there? Really? Because I can play this game a lot better than you can. Well, Jonah said, yeah, really. Let's go there. Okay. You're on. So Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Okay, so the 40 days have passed. He's hoping that they'll mess up. He's hoping that God's going to have to destroy them. He's hoping that God will change his mind. Now, remember a couple weeks ago I said, Jonah has never repented. Jonah's heart has been consumed by hatred, consumed by bitterness. And friends, if you don't deal with your bitterness, bitterness will control you. Either deal with your bitterness or it will deal with you. It will eat you alive. And this pouting prophet was eaten by bitterness. He was so mad at Nineveh. He was mad at God. But man, he should never give up his day job because he made a booth for himself. And in a moment, we're going to see how bad he is at building. And he sat under it in the shade. I want you to see something here. Just want you to capture this. Isn't it interesting? His first instinct was to make sure he's comfortable. I'm going to get comfortable and get a little shade, go a little, little building here, a little breeze. And I'm going to get nice and comfy to see if God changes his mind. Isn't it interesting that often our first instinct is to make ourselves comfortable? We like to be comfortable. But you know what? When I look at scriptures, God works in people who are uncomfortable. People who he makes uncomfortable. We as a church, we're going to have to fight always wanting to be comfortable. And God is always going to keep us in a state of being uncomfortable. Because when you're comfortable, you become complacent. When you're comfortable, sin starts creeping in and we become more focused on our own comfort than the will of God. In fact, our own comfort becomes our God. And our bitterness can start to consume us like Jonah. So, 
a gracious God is going to give Jonah an object lesson he will never forget. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so there might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Now I want you to stop here. Think back with me. Good old Jonah had been in the belly of whatever transported him. We talked about how he was probably scarred. His skin was probably bright white. And in that world, that meant that he was subject to heat and subject and vulnerable to the sun. So he needed shade. He needed to be out because he is going to hurt, hurt, hurt. So he liked this. This felt good. This felt good. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Uh Uh-oh. In fact, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor which you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Now, Jonah's a prophet. He's not a hut builder. God sends him grace. He sends a plant and causes it to grow. It protects his vulnerable skin, it protects his head. God gives him grace and shades him. He doesn't earn it. He has done nothing to deserve it. He has complained against the very nature of God's grace, called God his enemy, and God takes care of him. God sends the worm. The vine dies. The hot desert wind blows And friend, that hot desert wind sucks the very moisture out of you. Imagine your hair dryer blowing on high in your face and not relenting. The sun beats down on his fragile skin. No matter where he moves in his booth, the sun hits him. He is miserable. He cries out for death. God, if you're not going to judge them, then let me die. God says, you're angry about a plant? You're angry about a plant? Here's the object. Here's the beautiful lesson. I'm angry because I'm entitled to a plant. I'm angry because as As Jonah, I deserve the plant. I deserve, I deserve. 
And, and that poor plant, it didn't deserve to die. It was innocent, God. It didn't do anything wrong. God springs this amazing lesson, and let's not miss it. You feel pity for the plant, huh? You feel sorry for that plant. Well, do you really deserve shade? Well, we're going to set that aside, but you say the plant's innocent. We'll come back to that maybe later. But did you work for this plant, Jonah? Did you invest in it? Did you nurture it? Did you carry water for it? Did you weed around it? Did you connect with this plant? No. You grew up in the night and died the next day. That sounds a little untitled. What do you think, Jonah? Now before we judge, Jonah, I get to meddle. I'm a pastor, we do that. Are we like that? God, I deserve. I deserve, God. And as long as things are good, I'm on your side. But if it turns against me, God, you're on your own. I deserve blessing. I'm a Christian. I'm an American. I deserve blessing. Look what I've done in your name. God, those people don't. Those people should be judged. But and God says, what have you ever done to deserve my grace? Grace is undeserved. I give you my grace because of my love, because I took the judgment for you on my son. You don't deserve. And when we think we deserve, we feel entitled. It reveals our heart. It reveals what's truly going on inside. And God reveals that so we can deal with that. In this moment, God reveals Jonah's heart and teaches him about grace. What about you? How's your understanding of grace? He says, now let's talk about the, the cows. Jonah, let's talk about cows. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? Now, there's a couple understandings here. There are some who say that this is 120,000 children in Nineveh. Jonah, shouldn't I understand... Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? Because there's 120,000 children in there. Traditionally, we, we think of them as innocent. Jonah, shouldn't, shouldn't I care about them? Others say, nope, nope, that's not, not true. There, there couldn't have been that many kids in there at this time. Couldn't have been quite that many. So other scholars say it could mean this, that 
Jonah, there's 120,000 people in there who don't know the ways of God. They have no real spiritual discernment other than what you have just shared. They don't know me, Jonah. They don't know the ways of God. They are like immature children. Shouldn't we spare them? And shouldn't you, and this is what's implied, and shouldn't you get off this mountain? Shouldn't you go back in there, deal with your bitterness, repent, and go back into that city and tell them about me? Shouldn't you get off your duff and go do something? That's what's implied. Pastor Greg, and also much cattle? Talk about innocent. Cows don't have any clue what's going on. I used to work with cows. They are not smart. What? You're making your strongest argument, and you're always taught that your strongest argument has to be your last argument. And you would add cows? There's a couple reasons. There's a couple reasons. First of all, in Proverbs 12:10 it says, "Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel." Jonah, you, you you're telling us you're you're merciful. You're telling us you're righteous. If you're so righteous, how come you're not caring about those cows? Come on, Jonah. If you're a righteous man, what, what, why do you want all that destroyed? Come on, Jonah. Another thought had to go back to, to David. You remember David, 2 Samuel? Nathan comes in, tells him a story about a little lamb. And, and how it was raised by this poor man, and a rich man comes in and takes it away and kills it. And David's like all up, and he's like, let's go kill that guy. And, and he says, no, because you're the man who did that. David's heart was so in tune with protecting and caring. A little lamb, loving. But I'm thinking it's probably this. It's found in... Genesis 1, 26. Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, says God. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock, and that, that can be translated cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so man, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want you to think about it this way. By reminding Jonah of the cattle, he's saying, remember the cattle you're responsible for because you have dominion over them? Because you have dominion over them. Why, Jonah? Because you're an image bearer. You 
are unique among all creation, Jonah. Every time you look at the cattle, Jonah, you're reminded that you bear the image of God, Jonah. And what about all those other image bearers, Jonah? What about all those other people who bear the image of God? You want me to wipe out that city and all the cattle and all those people who bear my image? Yes, their image is marred by sin. Yes, they have turned away from me. But that is exactly why I sent you. To go and preach my message to them. The message I prepared for them. Now, friends, humanity is still marred by sin. Humanity has still turned its back on the Creator. But we all still bear His image. And in this sea of 79,000 people, 79,000 image bearers, we have found ourselves placed by the grace of God should we not take the message that God has entrusted to our care to those around us, to the image bearers around us. Should you not go to the places that only you can go? And should you not every time you see a cow be reminded that you're an image bearer of God? called to take his message of grace and mercy to other image bearers so that they might meet his son, Jesus Christ. So this is how he ends the story. On a hilltop. Leaving Jonah this question. I don't know about you, but I don't like that. I like stories to have an ending. But I think there's no ending because it's to remind you and me that his question is our question. What are we going to do? Are we going to sit on the hilltop and complain and be lost in our complacency? Are we going to take the message that has been entrusted to our care and go to the image bearers that God has called us to go to? Well, the scriptures don't tell us what Jonah did. But as an old guy, Paul Harvey, used to say, there seems to be the rest of the story. You see, legend tells us that old Jonah repented, got off his duff, and marched back into Nineveh and told him about the God he had run from. And in fact, until recently, you could go to Nineveh, which is called Mosul, and see the tomb of Jonah. Because his heart had become enmeshed with the people of Nineveh. 
And so he was buried there. Now Isis blew up his tomb, or what they believed was his tomb, so now it's just a pile of rubble. But guess what? I sure hope that part of the story is true. Because I think that would be a great ending. I hope that's our ending. That we become so enmeshed into our community that we want to take to the image bearers in our community the message we have been entrusted, the message of Jesus Christ to those around us. That our heart is found in this community where God has placed us. Amen? Amen.